thank you so much for that communion, Jolene. And I just did want to point out that Jolene and I are a bit twinsy this morning in our dress. So it's obviously a very mothering dress. So, uh, But yes, no, I love it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Beck. And um, there's actually one new person. So Everyone else can listen to this for the hundredth time, um, but I'll let the new person know. I'm actually an army chaplain in training, so this is my last year here with the church, and um, oh, and um, I'm going to be posted at the end of this year. Don't know where yet, but we're praying that we get Brisbane, because I would love to continue to come and be a part of the Emerge community. So, if you don't have anything to pray for, please pray that we we get to stay. Um, so yes. When I was thinking about Mother's Day, I think I thought about my life and how as a mum, everything happens so quickly now. Like, you know, we move from like when my, when I was younger, my mum would do the grocery shopping every week, but now for mums today, we live in a quick society, right? So we get online, we order the food, and then we don't even have to now walk into the store. Uh, Woolworths, shout out to Woolworths, they now have car park spots. So I don't even need to look for a car park spot. I can click and collect, and I can have someone walk it to my car for no extra charge. And so when I was thinking about all the things that I do in my life as a mum to make my life quicker and easier, I then realised that unlike paying the extra $10 to get something quicker or, you know, not walking my daughter to the classroom, just doing the the kick out at the front of the school and telling her I'll be there in the afternoon, I realised that our Father God is actually not like that at all. There is nothing quick or transactional about him. So today, I've actually named this this sermon All the Fixes, the quick fixes, the slow fixes, and all the fixes in between. Um, So yes, and while I would like to give full acknowledgement first of the miracles we see within our Christian faith, which often, often seem quick to us, You know, these miracles of healing within our bodies, you know, within our finances, relationship being restored. These seem quick to the human body, emotion and eye, but it is often the person or someone in that person's family that has prayed for a very long time. And so I just want to draw our attention back to our faith and our relationship with God that makes all of these things and so much more possible. Today in particular, I'm going to be looking at uh, within the book of Mark and uh, we read many of times in here of, you know, Jesus healing in response to faith. We read Jesus healing throughout all of the gospel, but today I'm going to look at Mark and um, I'm going to be looking at the enduring faith of some of these people and the characters I've sort of picked today are a little bit unlikely. Um, So they're not really the big names, you've probably heard the stories, but um, I just really want to delve into this. So this morning I'm going to be looking at the bleeding woman's faith, Jeremiah's tested faith, and the faith of four friends. So first, Mark chapter 5, I'm going to set the scene. Um, So Jesus is coming ashore on a boat, and once he reaches the shore, a large crowd have arrived and have gathered around him. While he's trying to make his way to the shore, and like obviously in that time no one is social distancing, everyone's, you know, I think of like a a concert, you know, he's probably really trying to push his way through without hurting anyone, but, you know, people are probably all there touching him, trying to 
literally just get that moment with him. I'm sure if they had phones in that time, you know, they probably would have had their iPhone out trying to get the selfie with Jesus. Um, But I can imagine it is somewhat frantic and it is manic as he is trying to pull ashore and just actually get to dry land. Um, So while trying to get to the shore, a local synagogue leader, Jairus, pushes through the crowd, gets to Jesus and falls at his feet. He starts to plead with Jesus, my daughter is dying, please help. As I reflect on this, you know, on Mother's Day, but as a parent, I can appreciate the father's urgency for his daughter's life. I think if that was me falling on Jesus' feet and, you know, when I have things even today that I fall at the altar for, you have a sense of collapse. You've given up almost. You, You have nothing else. And so the father falling on his daughter's feet and begging him to come save his daughter just would have been a a total moment of vulnerability. You know, and then when Jesus, you know, starts to, you know, acknowledge that he is going to travel with the synagogue leader to his house, I think in that moment for him, he then would have been pushing people out of the way, right? Like, okay come on, I'm going to come to your house now. And you're like, yes, Jesus is going to save my daughter. She's still alive right now. For how long, I don't know. So I would probably be that mum in the front of Jesus being like, move out of the way, everyone. Move. Nope, this is more important today. It's not about you. About me. Move. Like I probably would have been trying to push people away. I probably would have been trying to pull the saviour along a little bit. Come on, Jesus, hold my hand. Let's go. You know, very mum of me. Don't let go. Don't stop. Don't talk to strangers. Let's go, Jesus. Um, But then comes a moment that we're obviously aware of in which as he is walking to the synagogue leader's house, he feels someone touch the bottom of his garment. And so I think in that moment, you're like, okay, he's held up. He's held up. Who was that? Who did it? Don't stop Jesus. But, you know, we know that Jesus then stops. He stops. And not only stops, but he stops and looks around. And there is thousands of people. So I'm going to pick up this story now at Mark 5, 24 to 34. And we read, Jesus went with him and all of the people follow crowding around him. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them but had not gotten any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? 
But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened, trembling, and then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what she had done, had happened to her, came and fell at her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. As I read this passage and I read it very quickly and I give it a very quick, quick glimpse, I feel like she almost stole her healing. You know, I start to question almost her worthiness. Like, who does she think she is? Jesus was already on the way to save a dying girl and you have reached out in entitlement to grab your own healing. But then I realise... I come back, okay, I'm a child of God. This is not Beck who, you know, is working in the world every week and trying to make, like, her way as well through because we all have our own seasons that we travel. But you're a child of God and God has planned this path. And so then when I look closely at this, I find comfort in Jesus' reply. For he said to her, daughter, your, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Here I see her reaction. I pay more attention to her reaction, which is frightening, trembling, and falling on her knees, which is what the father did probably a few minutes earlier when he was screaming out for healing. She has done the same, and she is, you know, she is probably tired. She is probably falling because she cannot now physically hold herself up. And so in this, I see that she wasn't actually searching for the quick fix, but rather she had a confidence in Jesus that he could heal her. Interestingly enough, though, I did a really quick word study. Um, And so the word touch comes from the root word hapto, which means to fasten to or to cling to. When Jesus asked, who touched me? He is not referring to the act of someone putting out their hand on him. In fact, the story did not even say that she touched Jesus. It only states she touched his clothes. Yet Jesus asks, who touched me? What Jesus is really asking in this moment is who clung to me with their whole being in unwavering faith. Can I say that again? He is saying, who clung to me with their whole being of unwavering faith? You see, this woman was in a desperate situation and this was her absolute last option and opportunity to escape her situation. So of course she clung to God in faith. Many people in the crowd put their hands on Jesus but the bleeding woman was the only one to truly touch Jesus. Her faith was so powerful that it reached God more deeply than anyone else who had touched him that day. And you know he says to her, Daughter, it is your faith, your faith that heals you. Like, I'm like, it's her faith. 
Now, I'm not saying that the dad didn't have any faith because he obviously clearly did. He'd come to Jesus. But she is healed, not because she wanted something quick, but because she had a deep love for God and had had a love for God for a long time and knew that she needed God to be healed. Instead, she was intimate with her faith with God, by which she was healed. Now, it doesn't say for how long she was a believer, but what is evident is that the woman, single, travelled with a bleeding issue to see Jesus. In today's context, for the world, for all of the women in this room who understand the discomfort of bleeding... Travelling while you're probably not feeling your best, probably very low on iron, so much so that you have no energy at all, and then travelling by yourself with its own risks in that time, would have been not an easy feat. There is nothing that she woke up that morning and said, this is going to be great. She also then travelled through a society of people that thought that she was undirty and clean. They would have ridiculed her as she made that journey. She would have felt outcasted for that journey. But because she was not chasing a singular moment, it was her faith that guided her travels. It is she understood of what God or Jesus was capable of doing in her life. When I read this story in context to all of the things as a female, I'm actually currently very low on iron, this means so much more to me. She wasn't looking for a quick fix but believed in the power of Jesus. Later in Mark 5, in which Jesus gets the message that the little girl has passed, um, it is Jairus who then comes up to Jesus the synagogue leader, comes to Jesus and replies, there is no use troubling the teacher now. Sort of telling Jesus not to worry, you're too late, don't worry about it, you missed your chance. In which Jesus replies, don't be afraid, just have faith. There's two very different opposite sides here. I'm sorry, but for Jairus, and I think I look at this now, seeing that this woman has reached out in faith, and then I see Jairus saying, don't worry, Jesus. I'm like, Jairus, where's your faith at, man? Like, come on. I'm like, are you after the quick fix? And so when I continue to think and pray over this, I'm not actually sure that he was fully aware of the power of God. And look, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't always am aware of the full power of God. Um, (laughs) When I was recommended for army chaplaincy, um, not something that I'd really put on my life, but obviously God had put on my life. I remember ringing up the army chaplaincy um, cell in the army and I was like, hey, I want to get my application in. What do I need to do? And they were like, I come back in 20 years. I was like, oh, why? They're like, oh, because we've actually never accepted a female of your age in 16 years. So come back in 20, will you? And I had a moment where I thought, oh, Jesus, God, you couldn't change that major's mind, right? Because we've got a hierarchy, like 
there's traditions and rules and I was like look I'll go ahead but I am expecting a very dead end God like don't worry about it God really cool idea but probably wasn't going to happen um and then here I am today right (laughs) and so I can understand Jairus he wasn't aware of the full power of God and so we see further in the story, Jesus goes to Jairus's house, sees his daughter, raises her from the dead as, like, could you imagine Jairus? I thought you couldn't do that. I feel like it's a bit like me, right? When I got my co- contract to be like, you're going to be an army chaplain. What? So, and then how much more just amazing that being right, your daughter's raised from the dead. Like, that is something to teach you about faith, right? And so, um, he brings her back to life. Um, for me, I think, like, I think of, like, another quick fix and, um, in my life as a mother, and this has, I think other mothers can probably cheer on this. Um, at the moment, my daughter, I have a four-year-old daughter called Bella, and when she hurts herself, the Elsa Band-Aid is the quick fix, right? Like, it's like a little bit of a scratch, put Elsa over it, bam, tears stopped, healed, like Jesus came himself. <laughs> However, if I looked like, if I opened that Band-Aid, nothing ain't healed under there. And so I think of these quick fixes and I'm like, actually, God is so much more than an Elsa Band-Aid. He is so much more. He is the God that wants to not only heal the wound, but he wants to cover it. And he doesn't just want to heal the wound. He wants to heal all of the things that have happened in that moment. So he wants to heal the scab and cover it and protect it. And, you know, you're crying and you're sad. It's your emotional states, you know, a little bit up in the air. And he wants to come along and he wants to settle your inner being. And he wants to bring you back to him and wrap you in his love like a father. And so I was just like, as I continued to be like, okay, yep. You are not the Elsa Band-Aid, Jesus. You have seen everything for us. We do not have a transactional faith. There is no transaction at all. It's not like if something happens today, Jesus, save my dog, and then he brings my dog home. It's not like then tomorrow I wake up and go, I'll call on you next time I need you. Like he wants a, a daily, daily faith in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so he is a God of relationship. He made us in his image. He tells us to love thy neighbor. And to love thy neighbor, you need to be in community. And if you actually break the word down, and we we meet here every Sunday as a church community, if you break the word community down, it actually comes from the word common unity. So in this room, we have a church community, but we are a a body of people who have a common unity in Christ. And therefore, if he has made us to be connected with each other, it is pretty evident that he is a God of relationship. He wants us to open our hearts, open our minds, and open our very being and let him in daily. When we are rejoicing, when we are desperately seeking, and when our faith has been a bit of an up and down battle bit of a journey. When I think of journeying with Christ, I understand that there are probably many people in this room whose journey has been one of difficulty after difficulty. 
crying out to God for what feels like an endless amount of time. And while we definitely continue to pray with you and seek the breakthrough that you, you are needing, you are wanting, I want to remind you of someone who also had a pretty rough journey with their faith. And this is actually Jeremiah. Um, so Jeremiah came, was called by God at around the age of 13 to be the mouthpiece of God and warn the people to turn from their ways and follow God again or they would be exiled. But rather than just saying, hey, Jonah, can you be the mouthpiece? Go out and spread this. The people are all going to come back. They're going to turn to me. It's going to be great. Instead, he tells Jonah from the, uh, Jeremiah sorry, from the very start, you have this message. No one's ever going to listen to you. And FYI, sort of even your best friends will want to kill you. Like, but go ahead. You're 13. Go speak my word. Don't stop for anything. And so I think of, you know, Jeremiah getting that message at 13. There is nothing good about that. I think if I was Jeremiah, I would have been, like, laying on the floor hopelessly and probably just would have spent my days sleeping and trying to avoid it. But instead we see Jeremiah in Jeremiah 20, verse 7 to 8, crying out to the Lord in complete desperation. O Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and you, are, you overpower me. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made my household a joke. Jeremiah 20, verses 14 to 18. Yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long and battle shouts, with battle shouts. Because he did not kill me at birth, oh, that I had, or I, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had, would have been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow and shame. These are such heavy words. <laughs> um, oh. um, I've never actually cursed the day that I was born. I want to say that and um, I really pray that no one else in this room has really ever cursed the day that they were born. And um, if you have, I would actually really love to go to coffee with you. But... Um, this is, this is heavy, heavy. He had definitely travelled seasons of difficulty and difficulty and difficulty with no end in sight. In fact, he cursed his parents for his conception. Um, and unfortunately, as we know, it just can, the torment continued for Jeremiah for actually another 32 chapters. So it's not like the book ends after Jeremiah 20. It actually goes on to chapter 52. So... Well, Jeremiah, I feel for you, but... <laughs> um, however, I skip forward within Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is told by the Lord to buy a piece of land in a war zone. And while this makes no sense to him and would obviously make no sense to any of us in this room, Jeremiah is obedient, and he buys this piece of land. And spoiler alert to anyone who's currently reading Jeremiah for the first time, while Jeremiah's 
journey does not get easier. No one listens to him. God does make the the message, the you know, the like, how do you say? It? Um, God continues to trust him with this message. When Jeremiah does purchase this land, he actually doesn't see the outcome of it. He passes away and the the land is continued as a war zone. But it's not until later in Jeremiah's future family in which obviously people are exiled, they come back. It is that land that becomes the security for those people who return from exile. That land then becomes the places of identity for his family. That land becomes a legacy. That land becomes their safety. There was no quick fix for Jeremiah. And he didn't actually see the fix, right? He didn't see the end. He bought a piece of land trusting. And I mean, he probably, he would have found out in eternity with God. But he bought that land for the safety, of his people. You know, we see in Jeremiah, and we see this on um, tea towels and book pads, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so when I read this verse, there is so much context to it now. There is so much context. This, this journey that Jeremiah does, which is not easy, actually was the promise of security identity and identity for the future. This reminds me sometimes that we ought to trust the journey. Sort of like baking a cake. I'm not a baker, so if you are a baker in the room and I totally offend you, I'm really sorry. Um, but uh, I'm not that traditional wife. Sorry, babe. Um, so, like I said, I've been in the military. Can't bake a cake, can shoot a gun. So, <laughs> yep, I know, I know. Um, so what I am aware of though is that when you make a cake right you can't leave an ingredient out like you can't just decide oh I don't like flour today I'll put everything else in and you know see how it goes no and then when you bake a cake you obviously put it in your cake tin you don't just choose the heat like I don't pray for my oven ah 500 you know or I might cook this cake in the fridge like it just it doesn't work like that and so you know we need to know that in our relationship with God there is still a process it's not like God is like he's not the God of quick fixes he's not like okay I'm going to take you from here all the way over to there and everything in that short journey is going to be fixed you're going to learn nothing about yourself and you were going to do it again and again. No, instead, God takes us on a journey like a cake, right? He gives us the ingredients that we need in our faith and relationship to him, in which the mixing becomes the season in which we travel, and the baking and the finish of the cake actually ends up being the growth. The cake rises, we grow in this season. And so that's why, so if you bake a cake, and I'm really wrong, sorry, but for me... The cake is the growth. We need all of the journey. Lastly, I'm just going to... Um, I talked about the, the faith of the four men. And um, I'm actually talking within Mark 2, verse 1 to 6. So I'm talking about the four men who carried their paralysed friend to see Jesus. And so I'll read the verse for you very quickly. So Mark 2, one, verses 1 to 6. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, 
The news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralysed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralysed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. These four friends carrying their friend I think is quite incredible. I'm not sure if any of you in the room have ever done a stretcher carry before, but um, this is something quite common to me in the army. Um, We do them all the time for fun. They're not fun. Um, It is really hard work. So uh, when I see that these men were willing to carry their friend on a blanket, I'm like, that's a good friend. Um, Actually, some years ago when I was in army training, we were doing a stretcher carry as a part of our field competency. And um, I'll set the scene. We're in Wagga, January. So stupidly hot. Um, A trillion flies. And um, a platoon commander who probably is weighs as much as my husband's four-wheel drive. Um, he was a Russian man, and so I was like, you've got the wrong army, buddy. This is the Australian army, but <laughs> sure, someone's let you in. And so, yes, yes. So uh, we've got to do a stretcher carry uh, down a mountain like this because, you know, that makes it easier, right? So I'm carrying this big Russian SUV-sized man (laughs) down a hill, going over rocks, all that sort of stuff. And there are three other people on the stretcher and we are changing out regularly. So obviously you can't use one hand the whole time. You've got to go to the other side and then you change out to get a bit of a rest and all that sort of stuff. So I'm walking over the hill over boulders and I drop him. (laughs) Just And I'm at the front at this stage, so like gone like like snow sledding down the rocks but not that fun um and I drop him but because of the sheer weight of him as I dropped him my hands actually didn't let straight go my hand sort of like traveled with it hit the boulder and then let go of him and so gravity meant my fingers my fingers got squashed and the next minute I know I have two broken fingers so poor me And a very angry platoon commander because I dropped him. And I'm like, buddy, my fingers are broken. Like, (laughs) that's enough about you. And so I just, I see the sheer commitment of these men. Like, I, I live that sheer commitment. Like, I'm like, I want friends like that. And so, um, yeah, so then I'm like, okay, great friends. And so they obviously then climb their friend you know, to a roof, and they drop him down. Again, nothing easy about that. Um, this would have been exhausting. And I mean, you probably want to know that dropping him in front of Jesus isn't a waste of time, right? Because you've then made all that effort. You've got to carry your friend home again. But, you know, the effort to get him there. So I think this evidence is that they had a faith in God. And so 
I'm sure, like again, like the bleeding woman, the paralysed man probably spent many days um, and seeing many people trying to be healed or figure out how he could improve his life. Um, so, you know, I, he obviously had a faith in Jesus because he said, sure, take me. And so we then read in Mark 2, 8 to 12, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed men, as in the religious leaders he's saying this to, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, they never have seen anything like this before. Again, there was nothing quick about taking their friend there. And once their friend got there, he wasn't seeking the quick fix. He believed in his heart that Jesus and God were the only were the was the only God who could heal him. He endured a life, a hard life, to get to that moment in which his healing was because of his faith. Can I get the band up, please? So we see the unbelief of the religious leaders, the questioning of a miracle and the questioning of Jesus' authority. The leaders who were governed by tradition and religion and not faith, love, relationship with God. The same religious leaders who would have turned to religious rituals in order to try and seek from God. Their faith would have been transactional, only coming to God when they needed the quick fix. However, this is not the God that we serve. Our God is a father and we are his children And while the quick fix seems easier, it is often the journey in which God reveals the most about not only ourselves, but the power and love of himself. Pastor Mark often reminds the staff, and he says it quite a bit, that the quick fix is often faster or cheaper. However, in the long run, it usually costs you more. Those $7 shoes that you buy from Kmart, you buy because you don't want to spend on, you know, the good pair of shoes, but then they last two weeks, and by the end of the season, you've gone back and you've bought them 50 times. So not only have you, the quick fist cost you more money, but it's cost you more time. For the woman, Jeremiah, and the paralyzed man, Jesus seemed to be their last hope. He seemed to be like that was their desperation. For the paralysed man, the journey to Jesus would have been a risk. For Jeremiah, the perseverance to be God's mouthful while he was so aware that no one was ever going to listen probably seemed a little silly to him. And for the woman, her bleeding disorder that rendered her unclean, Everything and everyone she would have touched would have reminded her of her uncleanliness. You know, in the Levitical, Levitical law, she was not to permit it to handle money, attend services at the synagogue. She should not be physically close to anyone and certainly was not meant to be in a crowd. What she did, exposing her, 
herself to others with the uncleanliness was actually a crime, punishable by law. She risked her life to access her healing and she had a deep, unwavering faith. Throughout all of these accounts, the power was in that person's faith. God meets all of these people where they are at. He accepts their imperfection. This demonstrates God's nature to us. Even within our imperfect faith, God loves us. He makes us perfect within our imperfect faith. For God only wants a deep abiding relationship with you. Not a perfect person, but a relationship that permeates in all aspects of our life. God rewards those who stretch towards heaven in complete faith. He responds with authentic faith, even if it is imperfect. His attention is never divided. God does not rank us by the minutes we spend in our Bible each day or because you've been on mission trip and I haven't or I preach here on Sunday or you're a, you're a prison chaplain. He does not rank us in any way. He loves us all individually for all of our imperfections. God does not have a favourite child. And I say that on Mother's Day, although mum shouldn't have a favourite child, but God doesn't have a favourite child. Even in eternity, He doesn't love Jeremiah more than He'll love me once I'm there. So with every head bowed and eyes closed in this moment, I'm going to ask you to be super vulnerable. I'm going to ask you to have a faith like the woman with the bleeding. I'm going to ask you to have a faith like Jeremiah and I'm going to ask you to have a faith like the paralysed man and his four friends. From the outset, didn't seem like much but took a great vulnerable leap of faith. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, reach out for his garment. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand this morning if you, need to, if you need prayer for anything or if you need to reconnect with the Lord, I want you to raise your hand, but I want you to raise it like you are reaching out for His garment. So if that's you this morning with every eye closed and head bowed, please reach out for His garment now because I would love to pray for you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Reach out for his garment now. Lord, I, I pray for the people who are reaching for you this morning, God, who just want to touch the edge of your garment, Lord. And Lord, you know the things that they have in their life, Lord, but I, I pray that, God, they come back to you, Lord, for what they are searching, God, they come back to you, Lord, for what they are seeking, Lord, they lay it in your hands this morning, God. And Lord, I, I pray that this morning we, we make a habit that every time something happens in these people's lives, in everyone's life in here this morning, Lord, I pray that people will reach up yes. to touch your garment, God. So Lord, I pray for not a quick fix faith, God, 
but I give thanks for relationship. I give thanks for intimacy. Lord, I give thanks for journey, God. Lord, I pray over these people this morning, Lord. You know what it is in their life, Lord. And I pray that you journey with them, Lord. You are the God of all fixes, God. And I pray that they will seek and they will trust in you to find that fix, Lord. And Lord, this morning, I want to pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know about this God that I have talked about, about the Father who loves us and heals us and does miracles and gives us breakthrough, Lord. If it feels urgent for you this morning and you don't know know God, I want to encourage you to react on that feeling. So if it's you this morning, you've got something inside you and you don't know this God, but you want to meet this God, I encourage you to reach for His garment this morning. Reach for His garment. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, it's not something to be nervous for. If you're doing this for the first time, I'm going to be here, I'm going to pray for you. But please, I I just encourage you now, reach for His garment if you do not know God. Reach for Him this morning. Thank you.